I say, God, you picked the most unqualified dude. <laughs> and, um, but it's just, it's so amazing to just walk next to you guys. And I really, I really look at you as my family. And, and we say that all the time. Almost every service we say our family. And that's, and Brittany and I really look at you all as our family. And, um, before you leave today, um, if you didn't see the video that was playing before, uh, Jared's going to have that running after the service. So take a, take a minute to watch that. It's got pictures from, from the very beginning up until now. There's, there's a picture of me, of me on there getting dedicated. So it's like, come on. And uh, there's a table at the back, and it's got some, some historical things from the church. And a lot of pictures of fish fries. Come on, somebody. And um, <laughs> it's just, you know what? Um, I'm so glad, even before pastoring here, I'm so glad that I got to call this my church home. Um, there's something special about this house. And um, I just want to, I'm excited, Pastor Dan, if you want to come on up and bring us a word. Uh, if y'all will welcome Pastor Dan Hussey today. Thank you, brother. How many of you remember JB when he was in diapers? Come on now. <laughs> I'd love to hear those stories if we had time today. The other thing I want to know before we go any further, uh, I'm hearing these stories and seeing pictures of fish, fry, fish fries. I want to know which one of you missed the Lord today because you should be out there frying fish right now. I love being in Cajun country now, but the one thing I miss, honestly, is good old fried catfish because most people that far south believe it's a trash fish. They really do. And so I tell them all the time, hey, I'll fix that for you. If you'll skin it and fillet it and bring it to me, it'll be in the grease the day you brought it to me, right? I ain't trying to grill nothing. I ain't trying to blacken nothing. We frying catfish. Come on, somebody. That may be the only thing I say all day you agree with. All right. So thank you guys, Pastor JB and Brittany, for allowing me to be here for this special day. It's a big deal. 75 years of ministry in one community. There's not a lot of churches that can say that. And that is a big deal, and more than anything, it is a testimony to the faithfulness of God in Spring Hill, Louisiana. It's a huge honor for me. I bring you greetings from our district superintendent, Pastor Scott Holmes, and uh, he said to tell you just in, in no uncertain terms, congratulations and thank you for your faithfulness over the years. We're going to start today in Acts chapter 1. We're going to jump over to Romans 8 and 1 Corinthians 13. Acts chapter 1 is where we'll begin. Let's pray one more time before we jump into what the Lord, I believe the Lord wants us to talk about today. So Father, we're grateful for this church. We're grateful for this community. I'm grateful that the pastor of this great church, Lord, has grown up here and has roots here. And this is home for him. And I believe with my whole heart, God, today that the best days of this church are not behind, that they are ahead, and that you're going to use them in a powerful, powerful way. Lord, I pray today that you do what your word says in Psalm chapter 119, that you would open our eyes, that we might see wonderful truth in your word. Lord, as I communicate today, I pray that it would not be my words, but yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I did some homework this week. One of the Things that I have access to in the role that I play as secretary treasurer for our network is I have access to the historical files 
of churches from all across our great state. And so, uh, and many of you probably know Miss Melba Ballantyne. She's been serving in our network office over 60 years. And so I asked Miss Melba, I said, Miss Melba, would you write some things out that you remember about our church in Spring Hill? And so she went back to the file. She wrote some things down. Uh, I learned even before I got here that Brother Mike Hall was the founding pastor of this church, who is uh, Sister D. Sapp, who's married to Brother Gary Sapp. Many of you know that's her dad. And so there have been many great men and women of God that have led here and moved along the way, and God has done some amazing things from this church here in Spring Hill. Now, I debated whether or not I was going to tell you this, uh, but my mother was raised in Vivian, Louisiana. Anybody ever heard of Vivian, Louisiana? All right. And so my grandmother still lives in Vivian, Louisiana. She is 95 years old or 95 years young, I should say. I think she's in better health than most anybody I know. And so I was thinking about that, and I thought about my mom, and I thought, you know, she would have been one year old when this church began. One year old. I went back and looked at history, and I learned some interesting things that will probably make you a little bit nostalgic. Gasoline, I don't know if you've had to buy gas of recent, but in South Louisiana, it's been a commodity to say the least. But gasoline then was 21 cents a gallon. Bread was 9 cents a loaf. The average car cost $1,250, and the average house, even a nice house, was $10,000. And so I started thinking about that, and I'm going, man, we need to go back to those days until I hear this next statistic that the average income was $2,900 a year. So when you look at everything relatively, it all increases over the course of time. Harry Truman was our president. Winston Churchill was still the leader of a prime minister of, of Great Britain, and the world was reeling from World War II. I went back and I looked as well because I know the Assemblies of God as a, as a fellowship, we're not very old in the scheme, overall scheme of the history of the church. We're only a little over 100 years old, as a matter of fact. You heard your pastor talking about Azusa Street and the great revival there. I don't know if you know this or not, but the great leader of that revival, William Seymour, was born in Centerville, Louisiana. Down south, he was an original Cajun and ended up in San Francisco where the greatest revival that brought the Holy Spirit back to prominence occurred. So if I went back, I did go back a little bit, and I learned there were a lot of churches here. There were several churches that are older than this church in the Spring Hill area. And I'm sure some of those churches, if I could go back and find the history on those like I had access to about this church, I'm sure we'd find that those churches were doing great things for God and they were on mission doing what God wanted them to do. And still with the churches that were in Spring Hill, there was a group of people that believed that Spring Hill needed something more. There was a group of people that believed that there was something the church was missing. And that group believed this Simple phrase that Spring Hill needed Pentecost. Spring Hill needed Pentecost. I grew up in northeast Louisiana, so that's a far cry from here, all right? I'll tell you it's around Monroe just to be able to say that, but I actually grew up in a town called Marion, Louisiana. It's about as close to the Arkansas line as you guys are, okay? But it's just on the other side of the state. I had no frame of what being Pentecostal meant. 
All right. As a matter of fact, my mom grew up in a Baptist church. My dad grew up in a Catholic church. So we went to a Methodist church so I could be confused. <laughs> it's kind of the story of how things went. The very first experience I had with the Pentecostal church was driving by with a girl I'd ask out on a date. And for some reason, we drove by this church that I knew was a Pentecostal church. And she said, what do you think about that church? And I said, oh, man, them folks are weird. She said, what do you mean? I said, they swing from chandeliers. Y'all have a few of those in here, but I don't trust that chain. I ain't going to lie. They handle snakes. That's the first thing I look for when I come into a church. She said, you got snake baskets, I'm out the door. You're going to have to find somebody else to talk. Only good snakes are dead snake, king snake included. Just need to know. feel the same way about cats, but that's a story for a different day. I said, they're weird. Why do you ask? She said, that's where I go to church. <laughs> there wasn't a second date. You understand? That was it. Several years later, Boy, you said Petra a minute ago, and I'll never forget the day I gave that Jesus found me. I was in a small church in Marion, Louisiana, and I was sitting on the back row. I only went because my mama was on my back. Son, you got to go to church. And I finally just said, if you will leave me alone, I'll go to church tomorrow. I went to church hungover, sitting on the back, waiting on the preacher to say amen. And when they started giving this altar call, they sang this song you may have heard of. Let me, let me, before I tell you that, let me, let me just take a second. How many, how many of y'all knew every song we just sang? How many of you knew that? I don't believe y'all are telling the truth. 80% there? I didn't know two of them, so all of you that knew them all, you win the gold star. Pastor JB has something special for you later on. I just totally made that up, all right, just so we know. But I was sitting in the back row of the church and they sang this song called How Great Thou Art. And I still, I was actually grateful you didn't sing it today. And the reason is because if you sing that second verse to How Great Thou Art, it's all I can do to keep my composure. You know what that verse says? And when I think that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burdens gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. When I heard those words, even in a hungover state, something cut me to the quick. And that day the Lord said to me, son, I have a plan for your life. And I remember telling him this. I have no idea why you'd choose somebody like me. But if you want this broken, busted life, you can have it. And now here we are, 30 more than I want to count years later, 33 years later, and I'm still doing my best to follow him as best I can every day. I went to be a youth pastor six months later. That pastor may be one of the most foolish people that ever breathed. He should have never done that, okay? But I started hanging out with some people in school that were Assembly of God. Now, I want you to know I had no idea what Assembly of God was and meant. To me, some of the pastors and preachers, the names that you would know that, were, that made headlines back in the late 80s, all they were to me were people crying on TV when Walter Cron Cronkite was doing the evening news. I had no idea who they were. But I watched these people that I was hanging out with, this Assembly of God group of people, and I watched them begin to share their faith, and I noticed there was something different about the way I talked about Jesus and the way they talked about Jesus. So I started asking questions, and they started telling me, well, you need the Holy Ghost. And I'm like, well, man, I got the Holy Ghost. Today I got saved. No, 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 there's something else. You need that. Well, I was just foolish enough to believe that if God had something like that, I needed it. 
So I started praying, and then I stopped sleeping. The Holy Spirit was dealing with me. I was on staff at this church. I went to the pastor on Sunday morning. I said, hey, I need Sunday night off. I'm working through some things. i got to figure it out. I find myself at this little Assembly of God church. And just to make a long story short, for a guy who had never been in a Pentecostal church, it freaked me out. The guy's up here leading singing. They start raising their hands. I'm going, why in the world are you trying to interrupt him while he's singing? Then they went to pray for people. And everybody in the room started praying out loud. Come on, somebody. They started praying out loud, and I'm going, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Now I'm looking for the snakes, you understand? Because I'm sitting there thinking, Jesus only hears one person at a time that prays out loud. Now I know that's crazy, okay? But when you have no concept of what this thing is, that's the way you think. And then you know what happened next, right? It got kind of quiet, and the woman right beside me started speaking in this language. I ain't never heard. This is what I told Jesus. True story. I said, if you will get this service over with, I promise you, I will never, ever question this thing again. I'll never come back. I'll be right where I am and be faithful. Which worked out good until they gave an altar call. And these words came out of my mouth I'd never heard before in a language I'd never spoken before. 30 years now, I've been a Pentecostal preacher. I'm not ashamed of that fact. Somebody say amen. But what I've learned a lot about Pentecost is this. That there are powerful things that happen. There are also things we can't explain that happen. Can I just tell you this? 23 years ago this week, my son was about to be three years old. He'll be 26 in a few days, September 27th. He was in the hospital with double pneumonia. He'd been there all week. Saturday, I went to see him after I got off work. My wife was there. She was big pregnant with our third child. She wouldn't leave. And I'll never forget the words of the doctor. She walked in the door and she said, one of his lungs is 75% full of fluid. The other one's 50% full of fluid. We've been trying to treat that all week. We can't stop it. He's probably going to ICU and he may die tomorrow. I went home and I prayed all night long. I prayed stuff like this. God, not him, me. You can have me if you need somebody now, but not my son. I'll never forget his older sister who was five at the time. She was laying up in the bed because my wife was at the hospital. And I remember looking up at her and I saw her as she put her little head down and I saw her say something. I had no idea what she said. But before she said whatever it was she said, she looked at me and she said, Daddy, Caleb's sick, isn't he? I said, yeah, baby, he's really sick. You ever said something to somebody about faith, not even sure you believed what you were saying? Because here's what I said to my five-year-old daughter that day. I said, yeah, baby, he's sick, but Jesus could heal him. And I think what she must have said was, Jesus... Would you take care of my little brother? Because she closed her eyes and she went right to sleep. I stayed up all night long, worried, praying, confused. And I walked back in the hospital room on Sunday morning before I went to church that day. And the doctor came in and she said, I need to talk to y'all. And I said, well, here we go. JP, this was it. This was the moment they were going to tell me my son was going to ICU. That's not what she said. She said, does he have a twin? And I looked at her and I'm like, that's the dumbest thing anybody's ever said. You've been his doctor since he was born. You know better than that. 
Does he have a twin? No, ma'am, he doesn't have a twin. She said, well, I'm just telling you, the child I'm looking at today is not the same child I looked at yesterday. His lungs are not only free of fluid. I'm so confident of that. I'm just going to send you home without an x-ray. What does that mean? You can tell me all you want to that God doesn't heal, but my experience has been that God does heal. You'll never be able to convince me different of that. This Pentecostal thing is real. I pastored a church for 10 years in South Louisiana, and I remember about five years ago, I was standing in front addressing our congregation, and I said, man, we are proud to be a Pentecostal church. And the people looked at me, and when they looked, I could see it in their face that they were going, man, this is one of those churches? And they got confused, like, man, what are we talking about here? I have seen crazy stuff in Pentecostal churches, but I also know that Pentecost is real. And can I just say this to you today? If there's ever a time where the world needs the Pentecostal message and real people to exhibit the Pentecostal power that the Holy Spirit offers, it is today in this world that we live in. I'm going to go a step further today because I, want, I came here today for your 75th anniversary and I'm excited about that. But I just want you to know that people today, those people when this church started 75 years ago, they started it because they believed that Spring Hill needed Pentecost. And I'm telling you right now in this day and age, more than ever before, Spring Hill still needs Pentecost. But I want to unpack that a little bit. Because sometimes I, get, I think we get confused as to what being Pentecostal really means. For a lot of years, we, can, we, we equated that to what we wore, what we said, what we didn't do, or what we did do. We equated that to how things looked on the inside or, the, or rather on the outside. And so I'm not suggesting to you that all you students go to school tomorrow, hop up on a table, and one of you give a message in tongues and the other one interpret I don't think that's what being Pentecostal is all about. But I, and I will tell you this. You just heard it a few minutes ago. God still uses that gift of tongues and interpretation to encourage the church body. He still does that. But I don't think that's what he wants you to do at work tomorrow. I've had people tell me that before. Say, man, I want the Holy Spirit, but I'm scared I'm going to be in Walmart one day. And he's going to take over and I'm going to start shaking and speaking in tongues out loud. That's not the way the Holy Spirit works. And I want to encourage you even further than that because one of the most important pieces of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is that personal prayer language that God gives you access to. Man, I'm just telling you, the single greatest gift God's ever given me outside of salvation is that prayer language where the Bible says this, that I can communicate with God. The devil's confused. If you haven't activated that prayer language, let me encourage you today, make that a goal in your life. Because that prayer language, listen, if you had sat right, these two ladies probably can tell you, if you had sat right there by me, you'd have probably heard me speaking in tongues about, through every song. Why? Because that language changes things. But can I just tell you this right now? Pentecost is a whole lot more than just tongues. It's bigger than speaking in tongues. I love the assemblies of God. I love our tribe, but I'm just going to tell you something today that concerns me about where we've been in the last 10 or 20 years. I think that we may have put so much emphasis on speaking in tongues that it's become a point of pride for us. 
where we look and go, well, you don't speak in tongues. You're not spirit-filled. You must not be as holy or as spiritual as I am. And we've used that as a reason to isolate other people from us. I wonder sometimes if we haven't muddied the water about the true meaning of Pentecost. Jesus wants to give you gifts and for you to use those and to be active in your life. But he's got a much higher calling for us than that. If being Pentecostal means, if this is all it means, that you come to a church service and the gifts of the Spirit show up and you can leave saying that's what Pentecostal is, we missed the boat. Because it's so much more than that. So here's what we're going to do. I don't want you to trust me on this. I want you to trust this book. You don't know me very well. Most of you don't at least. So you don't know whether or not you can trust me outside of the fact that your pastor said you could. And I appreciate that. But you can always trust the words in this book. So this is what I want to do. Let's unpack what Pentecost means. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is very familiar. Jesus speaking. It's in red. But you will receive, what's that next word? Say it again. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If you're taking notes, write this down. The purpose of Pentecost is power. The purpose of Pentecost is power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. That's what Jesus said. There was another part. You, Jesus said some very confusing things to his disciples before he went to heaven. Probably one of the most confusing things he said was this. It's better for you if I leave. I ain't going to lie to y'all. If I was there, I'd be like, Lord, you think maybe when you turn that water into wine, you went over and sipped some? Because that sounds crazy. Better for us if you're God's son. You're the one we've been waiting on. Now you're telling us you're going away and that's better for us? Well, what Jesus knew is that he was sending the Holy Spirit. And he said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. It's not about what you wear or don't wear. It's not about what you, you look like. It's not about how you're adorned in your, in your own body. And it's not even about speaking in tongues or exercising other spiritual gifts. It's about a life that is filled with supernatural power. And I want to share with you that I believe that power shows up in three ways. The first two, you're going to amen and you're going to jump up and down. And you're going to be, well, maybe not jump up and down, but at least you're going to be excited about it. Because it's something you've heard before. But the third one is where I really want to spend some time. But let me work through these first two. The first one, first area where Jesus says power will show up in our life, supernatural power, is supernatural power to be a witness. You know what a witness was? That's the thing that drew me to the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When I would try to share my faith after I gave my heart to Jesus, it's like my tongue would swell up four times the size and I couldn't get the words out. But all of a sudden I start hanging out with these assembly of God, Spirit-filled people, and they're just flowing. Man, what's different there? The Holy Spirit gives us power to testify about what Jesus has done for us. And then he gets even more specific. He says, you're going to testify in three places. Jerusalem, which means in your house. Can I just say this? The Pentecostal power we have, if it's not in our home, it means nothing on the outside. Man, I'm going to mess things up so you have job security. Is that okay? Can I do that? We're good. Jerusalem is in your home. Judea and Samaria, that's the places you are the most. For adults, it's probably your job. 
Man, do you know what I want people to say? I'm the same when I'm in church as I am out of church. It could be a school if you're still in school. And then he says this, and to the ends of the earth. You know what that is? Every place we have influence. You guys give to missions, you know what you're doing? You're testifying about Jesus all across the world. He gives us supernatural power to be a witness. And then the second thing, he gives us supernatural power to live like Jesus. I love this verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen to verse 2. Because through Christ Jesus, the law, the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. He's saying, listen, if you are a believer and the Holy Spirit's in you, you only sin because you want to. Not because you have to. It set us free from the law of sin and death. The cross of Jesus either worked or it didn't. It can't do things halfway. I love Romans chapter 7. It's one of my favorite verses. I want to just remind you of something today. You probably already know this. But when the Bible was written, it wasn't written with chapters and verses. It was written as one long continuous letter. And so sometimes what happens is when we're reading, you're going to see this twice today. When we're reading there, we look at it and we go, oh, okay, this is a place where he took a break and changed thoughts. That's not what Paul's doing at all. He wrote a whole continuous letter. Scholars later on figured out that we needed chapters and verses to be able to find places. So when we end chapter 7, this is what Paul says in chapter 7. I want to do what's right, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do. Can I just tell you when I read that, I feel a little bit better about myself because that's kind of the story I've walked through for over 30 years now. That most of the time, I'm getting better at doing what Jesus wants, but there are still some areas of my life, kind of like that fried fish plate. When you say there's seconds, I'm going to be first in line. Thirds? <laughs> I like him a whole lot. You understand? Some stuff that I'm working on still. But Paul, at the end of that chapter, he says, what am I going to do? Then he says, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ our Lord. But then he transitions right to chapter 8. But this is not a separate thought. It's all connected together. He said, there's no condemnation for you who are in Christ. You don't have to live like the devil anymore. The supernatural power of the Holy Spirit gives us the power to live the way Jesus wants us to live. That Spirit frees us from the power that leads to sin and death. Later in the chapter, he explains what that looks like. I love this verse. He says, that same Spirit that lives in you is the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That same Spirit... Raised Jesus from the dead. The one that empowered him to live the way he lived empowers me and you as well. Paul says we no longer have to live in sin because Pentecost gives us the power to live the way God wants us to live. So we know the Holy Spirit gives us power to witness and it gives us power to live like Jesus. But here's the most important way that I believe Holy Spirit power is displayed in us. And it's this, this that Pentecost... Gives us supernatural power to love others. Now again, I'm going to give it to you out of the book. Because you can't argue with the book. Sometimes, just going to be honest with you. I don't like some of the stuff this book says. I'd rather take a permanent marker and mark it out. When he says, I need you to love people that you don't agree with. 
I need you to turn the other cheek when people misuse you. I, I can see y'all got that figured out. I'm just talking to myself today. Remember what I told you a minute ago about how it was one continuous letter. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, 14. Chapter 12 and, 13, and 14 are two, maybe, in my opinion, two of the most beautiful sections of what Paul wrote. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 unrolls, unpacks, explains spiritual gifts to us and lists them out for us. And it's such an amazing, amazing list. And then he goes over into chapter 14. And listen, I'm just going to tell you, chapter 14 was kind of hard for me when I got started because I was trying to figure out what, why are you saying this here and you're saying this over here. And, but when I really started studying and understood it, I, I really now get, get that what he's talking about in chapter 14, he talks about the difference in the gift of tongues and interpretation in that personal prayer language we talked about. It's beautiful. It's one of the most theological pieces in the whole Bible. But in the middle of that, 1 Corinthians 13. So about five years ago, I went on this journey. I didn't tell anybody. Didn't even tell my wife. Just said, Lord, I want to understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit a little bit more. I want you to lead me through this. And so when I was studying 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, because that's kind of where you'd go, and I'm looking at chapter 13, I'm going, God, this is out of place. Somebody who translated this or, or transcribed this is probably a better word from the original letter that Paul wrote. Somebody messed up. Because... Y'all know what 1 Corinthians 13 is, right? What do we call that? Love chapter. The love chapter. Use it in every wedding ever. There's not a preacher anywhere that does it. If they say they don't, they're lying. You just need to know. The love chapter. 1 Corinthians 12, great theological information. 1 Corinthians 14, Great theological information. First Corinthians thirteen, mushy. I'm just Some of y'all are like, man, you're not supposed to talk like that. Well, I, it's not like Jesus doesn't know. So I'm telling him that. I'm like, God, it doesn't make any sense. Why is this here? He said, go read it again. You know how many times I've read that in my life, Jesus? Read it again. But I've already. I'll be more specific because you a country boy and you got a hard head. Read the last verse of 12 and then read 13 and do it together. Now listen to this. This is wild. Verse 31, 1 Corinthians 12 says, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And here's the sentence. Are you ready? And yet I will show you the most excellent way. The New Living Translation says it this way. And now I'll show you a way of life that's better than them all. He's just showed us about all the spiritual gifts. And then he says, now I'm going to tell you what's even better. Verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, if I give a lot of messages in tongues, if I pray in my prayer language all the times, but do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Let me just put that in today's vernacular. All you're doing is making noise. You can give as many messages in tongues as you want. You can interpret that. You can pray in your prayer language all day long. But if you don't love people, it's noise. 
Remember, it's in the book, so if it upsets you, talk to the one who wrote it. Verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, if I understood everything, and I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. I'm going to suggest to you this. The single most powerful proof that we are Pentecostal believers is our choice to love others. Jesus said it this way, a new commandment I give you. That doesn't make any sense. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? John, he said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. Another one of those places where I went, well, Jeep, that, God, you've been talking about that since the beginning. That goes all the way back to Genesis. You can't say that's new. He said, I can say it's new because nobody's ever mastered it yet. What would happen to the Pentecostal church who mastered loving people? Several years ago, I told you I revisited the idea of Pentecost and I went back to try to figure out what it was about. Here's what I learned. It's based on the celebration in the Old Testament, the Feast of Pentecost. You know what the Feast of Pentecost celebrated? Harvest. It celebrated the fact that God had given them an abundance. And now they're bringing it in and he had provided one more time. Can I just say this to you? Pentecost always has been, always will be. There is no exception to this statement about harvest. It's why Jesus told the disciples, pray the Lord of the harvest because the harvest is ready, but the workers are few. Why do people run from churches instead of running to them? Because they see the way we argue. They see the way we disagree. They see the way that we treat people who may not feel the same. They see how we treat people who don't look like we do, talk like we do, believe like we do, or even feel the same way about political things as we do. Now I done went from preaching to meddling, all right? Pentecost gives us power to witness and power to live like Jesus, but the most important thing is the power, the choice to love other people. Well, I don't know if I believe that. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples, mind you, to the church. By this, love, all will know you are my disciples. By your love for one another. I'm pretty convinced of this. That the main reason people outside of faith reject Jesus is because they see how we treat others. I was involved in a theological conversation. I don't get involved in those a whole lot. But it was at my house where there was actually a young lady there who was trying to, to find her way through to faith. And so my wife and I have just loved her for the last six months since we moved there. We've just tried to love her and be there in the midst of it. And sure enough, finally she started asking questions about faith and we started unpacking some things. She still hadn't made a decision for Jesus, but it's coming. She was telling my wife part of her story not long ago, and this is what she said to her. She said, Bonnie, you have no idea what I've done. You have no idea where I've been. If you knew who I was, you would stay so far away from me. You wouldn't want anybody to know that you were associated with me. And my wife looked her in the eyes and said, I do not care. 
I love you. I used to preach to students. You got to stay away from people who don't know Jesus. I've tried to find all of them and apologize. Because if we're not telling them about Jesus, who's going to? There are people in your world that are just waiting for somebody to truly love others. And if we'll truly love others the way Jesus said for us to love others, then they will embrace this thing we call faith. The most important thing we can do as Pentecostal people is love each other. Yeah, but Pastor Dan, you know how stupid people are? (laughs) I do. You know how stupid I am sometimes? Can I just talk to you? I'm not old, but I'm older than I used to be. I have four grandkids now. And the older I get, the more I realize how hard it is for me to be tolerant of somebody else that feels differently than me. You know what's funny about that? Jesus never spoke harshly to those who didn't believe. He only spoke harshly to those who pretended I'm challenging you today. It's the 75th anniversary of this church. Could we choose today to be a church that says, you know what? It doesn't matter if we feel differently. This is free. Some of us are so concerned with being right that we don't even think about what it would mean to be righteous. Sometimes the righteous thing to do It's just agree to disagree and move on and love people. Some of y'all are looking at me like I fell out of a tree and hit every branch on the way down. It's very possible. Some of you are wondering why your grandkids don't come around anymore. It's because you won't listen to them and entertain that their ideas might be, even if you feel like they're the dumbest thing you're, come on now. Listen and love. So here's my challenge today. Last statement I want to make, and then we're going to pray. I am convinced of this, that what we do for God will not matter if we don't love each other. If we don't love people, listen, I am right now, I'm busy, y'all. I ain't kidding. Southeast Louisiana is in a bad way. For the first time last year, Hurricane Laura, you guys really kind of saw what a hurricane does when it comes through. Maybe not right directly here, but my wife's grandmother's still alive as well. She lives in Sterlington, Louisiana, and we had power at my house, and she was calling us. She's 90, 95 at the time, and she didn't have power, didn't have air conditioning. So it's 4 o'clock on a Friday afternoon, and I loaded up two generators, and I loaded up every can of gas I could find, two windy unit air conditioners, and I drove to Sterlington. Four hours. They had no idea. They never lost power in the house they lived in, ever. I was down in a place called Dulac. If you go to home on Highway 90 and take a right, you go about three more miles, you just drive in the Gulf. There's just nowhere else to go. Another place a little further to the east, it's only about 10 miles away from there, but you got to travel about 60 miles to get there because you got to go up and down and around the bayou place called Galliano. It's the last community before you get to Grand Isle. 
the devastation I've seen and what people are walking through there. Last year, Hurricane Laura, I think we had six churches that were impacted. This time we had 54. Six of those are catastrophic, meaning I'm not sure what they're going to do to recover. Upwards of 25 total have very significant damage. Now, why am I telling you that? All of us are going to get in a vehicle probably when we leave here that has air conditioning. I like air conditioning. Say amen. Down in Dulac, they're not going to have power till at least the 29th. It's been a month in 100 degree days. I went down there last week and I met a pastor. She is one of the most incredible little French, French Cajun ladies you'll ever meet. I had to get her to slow down two or three times so I could understand what she was saying. But there was one thing that kept coming through. Pastor Dion, we got to help our community. And when I walked out of there, I said this. I said, you know what? That lady loves these people. And you know what we're doing? We're doing everything we can to help people in that community. Why? Because that's a way we can show them that we care and we love. What if we became the church in Spring Hill? I don't know anything about that church there. Pastor ain't got no hair and he's too young for that. Right? But here's what I do know. They love people. What I do know is that when nobody cared about me, they cared about me. Say, well, did you show us who they are? And I'll do that. They probably live beside you, behind you, across the street from you. Could we be the people that were, could there be a better tribute and a way to honor your past than by being a true Pentecostal church because you're loving everybody no matter what. Would you bow with me for prayer?